Hey, Kayleen McCall here coming to you from the Heart of Wildwood Gardens. Doing that thing I complain about other people doing, radio uh, with video, but I want to have that radio sound and I was going to show you my backyard instead of my face, but I will be reading to you from uh, a screen. So I have to just trust that I am beautiful and bring you the story that needs to be brought to you. I'm going to read 1984 because I know a while back when I ever so subtly posed the question, have you read 1984? Um, it was just a seed. Well, now is the harvest. 1984 was written by George Orwell as a purposefully prophetic warning of where we could expect to be after the policies of a certain secret society had been in play for a hundred years or so. 1984 was written in 1948. It was a play on words with numbers. And that was quite a while ago. And we are seeing so chillingly that George was right. I am presuming that one of the rules that holds through for the human experience holds true now. That within the puzzles we are presented with, the solution is already present as the seed is within the fruit. As a public service, 1984 by George Orwell. Part one, chapter one. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the vile wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. The hallway smelt of boiled cabbage and old rag mats. At one end of it, a colored poster, too large for indoor display, had been tacked to the wall. It depicted simply an enormous face, more than a meter wide. The face of a man, about 45, with a heavy black mustache and ruggedly handsome features. Winston made for the stairs. It was no use trying the lift. Even at the best of times, it was seldom working. And at present, the electric current was off during daylight hours. It was part of the economy drive in preparation for hate week. The flat was seven flights up and Winston, who was 39 and had a varicose ulcer above his right ankle, went slowly, resting several times on the way. On each landing, opposite the lift shaft, the poster with the enormous face gazed from the wall. It was one of those pictures which are so contrived that the eyes follow you about when you move. Big Brother is watching you, the caption beneath it ran. Inside the flat, a fruity voice was reading out a list of figures which had something to do with the production of pig iron. The voice came from an oblong metal plaque like a dulled mirror, which formed part of the surface of the right-hand wall. Winston turned a switch and the voice sank somewhat, though the words were still distinguishable. The instrument, the telescreen, it was called, could be dimmed, but there was no way of shutting it off completely. 
he moved over to the window, a smallish, frail figure, the meagerness of his body merely emphasized by the blue overalls which were the uniform of the party. His hair was very fair, his face naturally sanguine, his skin roughened by coarse soap and blunt razor blades and the cold of the winter that had just ended. Outside, even, though the, even through the shut window pane, the world looked cold. Down in the street, little eddies of wind were whirling dust and torn paper into spirals. And though the sun was shining and the sky a harsh blue, there seemed to be no color in anything except the posters that were plastered everywhere. The black mustachioed face gazed down from every commanding corner. There was one on the house front immediately opposite. Big brother is watching you, the caption said, while the dark eyes looked deep into Winston's own. Down at street level, another poster, torn at the corner, flapped fitfully in the wind, alternately covering and uncovering the single word, Ingsoc. In the far distance, a helicopter skimmed down between the roofs, hovered for an instant like a blue bottle, and darted away again and with a curving flight. It was a police patrol, snooping into people's windows. The patrols did not matter, however. Only the thought police mattered. Behind Winston's back, the voice from the telescreen was still babbling away about pig iron and the overfulfillment of the ninth three-year plan. The telescreen received and transmitted simultaneously. Any sound that Winston made above the level of a very low whisper would be picked up by it. Moreover, so long as he remained within the field of vision which the metal plaque commanded, he could be seen as well as heard. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment. How often or on what system the thought police plugged in on any individual wire was guesswork. It was even conceivable that they watched everybody all the time. But at any rate, they could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. You had to live, did live, from habit that became instinct in the assumption that every sound you made was overheard. And except in darkness, every movement scrutinized. Winston kept his back turned to the telescreen. It was safer, though as he well knew, even a back can be revealing. A kilometer away, the Ministry of Truth, his place of work, towered vast and white above the grimy landscape. This, he thought, with a sort of vague distaste, this was London. Chief city of Airstrip One, itself the third most populous of the provinces of Oceania. He tried to squeeze out some childhood memory that should tell him whether London had always been quite like this. Were there always these vistas of rotting 19th century houses? Their sides shored up with balks of timber, their windows patched with cardboard, and their roofs with corrugated iron? their crazy garden walls sagging in all directions. 
and the bombed sites where the plaster dust swirled in the air and the willow worms straggled over the heaps of rubble. And the places where the bombs had cleared a larger patch and there had sprung up sordid colonies of wooden dwellings like chicken houses. But it was no use. He could not remember. Nothing remained of his childhood except a series of bright lit tableaux occurring against no background and mostly unintelligible. The Ministry of Truth, many true in Newspeak, was startlingly different from any other object in sight. It was an enormous pyramidal structure of glittering white concrete, soaring up terrace after terrace, 300 meters in the air. From where Winston stood, it was just possible to read, picked out on its white face in elegant lettering, the three slogans of the party. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. 